In 1 Corinthians 9, 1 through 18, God speaks to us in his word. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who would have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the Lord say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. It is for oxen that God is concerned. Does he not certainly believe for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of, of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar shall share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, guys. Long reading today. Thank you for listening. All the guests in the room, thank you guys for being here. My name is Ben. Really excited that you're here. Uh, I am one of the pastors here. I can serve as lead pastor uh, at Frontline Shawnee, and we are, we are blessed by your presence. It's not lost on me that... You took a day off to get out of bed, and, or vacation day, or whatever, to come and spend the day with us. Uh, something I want to mention before we jump into the sermon today is um, there are many of you in the room um, that are stale, that, you've, that you feel like you've lost your first love, you've lost your love for God, and uh, there's several of you in the room like that today, and I want to invite you uh, to be praying that God would renew your heart uh, throughout this, the Word. The Word's the only thing that doesn't return void. And even though today is like an interesting passage, to say the least, uh, I, want to in, I want to ask you now to just be praying for, and I want you to know that God sees you. That all, the, all the people who have forgotten God, who are totally stale, who are uh, just dead inside, uh, man, God, it's not by some random coincidence that you're here. God brought you here today. And then there are many of you that uh, have, have maybe been saved. You might have been saved for 60 years, teaching Sunday school, associate pastor, I don't know what you are, but you've never been baptized. And I want to invite you to be thinking about at the end of the service, um, we're gonna, we, we would love to baptize you. 
Um, and then there are several of you in this room that, that just have never, you go to church, you know church, but you've never trusted Jesus to save your soul. You don't know the gospel. And I wanna invite you today, man, be thinking about, be praying about, give your life to Jesus. You, if you wanna get saved, renewed, if you're experiencing any of that stuff, wanna be baptized, you can throw something at me, stand up, shout, hey, preacher, stop preaching. I need to give my life to Jesus. I am here for that, okay? All right, let's be praying today. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 9, or open up your phones to 1 Corinthians 9. Um, if you have the Bible app, we'll also have it on the screen today. And while you do that, I'm going to pray for you, and you pray for me. God, I ask for your power today, Lord. We don't, we don't want to just preach, we don't want to just have decent church and just preach nice sermons. Lord, we, we, we're, we want your power to come. So I'm looking out in the room, and I, I, I just am seeing the mark of stagnation and men and women who look the part but don't actually know you in their heart. And I pray, Lord, that you would ignite their heart today. Lord, we, we ask for your manifest power and presence to revive us today, to bring renewal in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so, hey, look, at this church, we teach through books of the Bible, and not really books at all. Um, they're actually letters written to the church of God, and we are right in the middle of one today. Uh, this, this letter, this book called 1 Corinthians, which you might have heard of, um, Paul is a man that, by God's grace, planted so many churches, and God really used him for renewal, and he would kind of keep up with those churches, watering them. That's how he would call it, because he'd treat them like, like soil, like this is, I'm putting seed in the ground, the church is a seed. Um, and I'm watering them, and then God provides the growth. Paul actually says that in the New Testament. And one of the ways that he would do that was he would, they didn't have cell phones back then, 2,000 years ago. And, um, and so he would, he would write letters to them, and they would write letters to him. And in the middle of those letters, they would have all these questions about, okay, Paul, how do we do this? How do we do this? What should we do about this? What should we do about this? Mostly cordial. Uh, mostly they were humble. And um, today we're studying one of those letters from a church in a city about 2,000 years ago called Corinth. Now, Corinth, uh, just as a refresher for those of you who maybe have been gone a little bit, uh, but some of the new people in the room today, uh, Corinth was a Greek, Roman, Jewish, and every other type of person city, okay? It was right at the intersection of a major trade route. It had actually been overthrown a couple hundred years before this time and the Greeks and the Romans, they descended upon it and said, we need this city, and they revived it again. So in this city was every type of entertainment, every type of person. I mean, you name it, every type of worship. There were actually multiple temples within Corinth. They really valued spiritual things. So they'd have a temple for every type of thing. Uh, Greek God, you worship Greek gods, we've got multiple temples for multiple gods, we're, you're covered. Um, Roman gods, you worship Roman gods, multiple temples for multiple gods, you're covered. What about Jews? We have multiple temples for you as well. We'll make them look just like, make you feel right at home. I mean, this is like uh, basically a cruise ship for any type of religion. All the amenities you want, we got them. Go into the cruise ship. There's a mall. There, I've never been on one, but you, can, you guys can send me on one if you want. Um, That's what Corinth was. Corinth was the place that like bachelor parties and birthday parties and all kinds of weekend getaways or whatever. The, Corinth was that place. Uh, temples, as a matter of fact, temples were the place that you gambled. Temples was the place that you went to, out to eat. 
temples where they worship multiple gods. And if you didn't, if your God wasn't represented in one of those temples, you know what? We've got temples to the gods not represented. Literally, whatever you want. If you can't find your God, just go on down to this temple. And that's just the temple of every type of God. So just pick your poison for today. Corinth was the type of place that like, you know, whatever happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. It was that kind of place. God saw fit, of course, to plant a church through Paul right in the middle of this crazy town. One uh, commentator said all at once it was Las Vegas, Los Angeles, and New York City. Corinth, that was Corinth. So there's this outpost now. There's this church planted, this kingdom of God's people that was planted to be a missional outpost to really disciple and spread the good news of God, uh, salvation through Jesus Christ to the culture around them. And, but during the middle of this move of God, what happened was, was the people in the church in Corinth, instead of discipling the people around them, the people around them were discipling them. And so now what you've got is you've got all these people that have forgotten their first love, they are stagnant, they've forgotten who they are, they've forgotten what they committed to, and they would just as soon be on Facebook in the middle of church than ever have or actually submit to the word of God. Now I don't, please no shame, if there, I hope there was not anybody that was looking at Facebook at this very moment. Um, but I just, Corinth needed renewal. They needed to be redirected toward the goodness and the grace and the truth of God, and we need that today. The Oklahoma church needs renewal today because it's all a little too familiar to us. Church is a little too familiar to us. We think church is what gets us there. We think church, we think if we just know about church culture, we think, man, we're good to go. But in the meantime, we do like Corinth, like the people of Corinth, we go and worship other idols throughout the week. And Paul is redirecting them. And actually what's happened is the people in Corinth have done what we have done in Oklahoma in 2023. They have become addicted to their rights. They become addicted to their freedoms. I'm free in Christ. I don't have to worry about a single other thing. It's sealed. I can do whatever I want to do. As a matter of fact, in the chapter previous to this, they were going into a temple. Now, in these temples, they were restaurants, basically. They would prepare food, and then they would burn that food to other gods, and then they would worship those gods by feasting. Well, you've got all of these mature Christians in Corinth who are saying, hey, I know that there's only one true God. How many of us in the room would say amen to that? Amen. There is one true God. Paul says, you're right. There is only one true God. And meat doesn't matter. If it's offered to idols, then that doesn't matter. Paul says, you're right. Meat doesn't matter. Meat is just meat. We know that that. We know that there's one God. We know that all these other gods are not even real gods. They're fake gods. We know that meat offered to them doesn't really matter. But the thing that you are forgetting about, Corinthians, is that your freedom is not actually about you at all. What about the person next to you that got saved out of that life of idolatry? And they are trying to follow Jesus and lay down these other idols. What if they're right next to you and they're watching you and what causes them to stumble is you eating meat offered to idols? Paul says to them this, your freedom is not freedom at all if it's a stumbling block to the weak. Actually, your freedom is more about you, which is bondage. Freedom in Christ means free to love each other, free to think about each other, free to serve each other. 
It's what Jesus said when he was asked in Matthew 16 about the greatest commandment. The scribes asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And he says it this way. The most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Paul said that. He quoted that actually in the previous chapter. He said, yeah, it's true. God is one. No other idols. There is one God. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And I imagine the Corinthians would be like, yes, amen, standing up, shouting. And then this. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus waits till after that second one and says, there's no other commandment greater than these. You know why? Because one does not function without the other. To love God means to love your neighbor. The Corinthians were so obsessed with their rights, their freedoms, and they were worshiping idols. They were worshiping the idol of themselves, what they wanted in any given moment, what is deserved of them. God owes me. You owe me. They owe me. I am free. I'm free to be myself. I'm free to self-actualize. I have total freedom. Everybody in this whole room would say yes and amen to that. I can do whatever I want. But what happens when your freedom meets up with someone else's freedom and the thing that you think will make you free is the thing that they think will make them free? Who wins? Then we get a whole society full of free people, full of people that are after freedom and under the name of God and actually devour each other. Galatians 5 says that. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity against someone else. That's how we bite and devour. The Corinthians, the Corinthians were messed up, man. They liked bits and pieces of the gospel so long as they got to parade their rights around. This is them. Give me all the parts of God that enhance my journey. Leave all the parts that require death to comfort. It's a way of thinking that leads us away from the gospel and stems towards idolatry. It's arrogant. It's full of the God of self. And arrogance is quick to follow the worship of yourself. So now these arrogant free people, I'm free to do whatever, not think about anybody else. They're now questioning Paul. They're questioning his um, apostolic gifting, his calling. They, this is actually the second of about five letters that the Corinthians sent to Paul. We call it First Corinthians, I don't know why, we lost the first letter, that's why. But they are just on him, man. <laughs> One after another. There's gonna be several eye rolls today. There's gonna be several parents in the room that this reminds them of how their kids just, you know, kinda are after them a little bit, can't ever take no or yes for an answer. And Paul is correcting them, the Corinthians are saying, we have rights. Well, Paul actually comes along and says, I have rights. Well, the difference is this. This is what I want you to hang on to. Paul refuses his rights for the sake of others. The Corinthians refuse others for the sake of their rights. We want to follow Jesus, which means we don't refuse others for the sake of our rights. Jesus, who in Philippians 2 said, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. He gave up his rights. So let's look at Paul's rights. Let's jump right in. If you're taking notes, um, we'll have multiple things on the screen for you to take notes. You can jot down. There's a lot of scripture today. I'm going to try to make it through it fast. And um, if you need these notes, I'd be glad to give them to you as well. Paul's rights are this. Verses 1 through 2, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen the Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Paul is now asking, and he's about to continue to ask a series of rhetorical questions. And 
original language in the Greek would have said that, that he's basically answering for them. I know I am these things. Do you know that I am these things? He's not looking for a vote of confidence. He's making statements and giving them the benefit of their thinking, which is so important. Paul is being examined. He's being examined by the people that he watered and planted and lived among. Verse 3, this is my defense for those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves, as, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? The Corinthians were challenging Paul's authority as an apostle. They knew that apostles had a certain list of things or common traits that would mark them as apostles. And Paul's going through that list, but the point is not to zero in on one specific thing. The point is this. It's his testimony to them of the authority that is given to him as an apostle, not by them, but by God, which matters a lot because God is the one that instituted the church. God is the one that planted Corinth. God is the one that planted Paul as Corinth's oversight. And even though Paul was imperfect and needed a savior, just like me as your pastor, even though that's true, it still, nevertheless, was given by God for our good. Corinthians specifically brought up the fact that Paul was working another job while in Corinth. Stay with me, this is weird. He's refusing payment from them. All other apostles made livings for their work as a minister. And Paul says, no, I don't want to be paid by you. I don't want to be paid by you. It says here, do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from among you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? And here's where it starts to turn. Nevertheless, Paul says, we have not made use of this right, even though it is our right. If you want to talk about rights, which you are doing, you're all about your rights, Corinth. It is our right to receive a paycheck. From, that is our right as an apostle. But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. The Corinthian church said, God commanded that apostles, those that proclaim the gospel, if I have anointed them to do it, then they should make their living by the gospel. Paul, you do not do that. You lived here and you were a tent maker. You didn't take money from us. So therefore, you must not be an apostle. Paul says, yes, it's true. I know the rules. I have them on God's authority. I have rights given by God. They were looking for any reason to condemn God's authority through Paul. Paul was telling them stuff they didn't want to hear. It's because they were so addicted to their own freedoms and rights. They didn't understand that questioning Paul was questioning God. Interesting how that happens. 
It's interesting how the more we get addicted to our own rights, it ultimately leads to skepticism and scrutiny. Scrutiny becomes like a sixth sense for us. We start to say, surely that's one of the fruits of the Spirit, right? I'm just discerning. (laughs) Skepticism? Surely God commanded us to be skeptical. I'm so good at it. It comes so naturally. It is interesting. The more that we care about our own rights, the more that we say, I feel like I am owed these things. I am owed these things. I'm owed a God that doesn't match up with a God the Bible matches up the way I want him to be. I'm owed that. I've done a pretty good job, lived a pretty good life or whatever. I think I'm owed some things in my life. Paul, mom, (laughs) dad. Reminds me, I was preaching this in the nine o'clock service and I couldn't help but think of, I couldn't even zero in on one thing, but I was forever the skeptical kid growing up. Cue the eye roll from every mom and dad in the room. That was me. If you got one of those or several of those, I was the kid that always asked the question, why? And my mom would always give the answer for some that are close to my age, I'm the parent, that's why. I'm the parent, that's why, Ben. Eight-year-old that thinks you know everything, don't even provide for this household. I give you food, I put a roof over your head. (laughs) You don't have a job. You came in buy shoes for yourself. And here you are questioning me, and boy, did I. I was like, well, that's not, that excuse is not good enough, Mom. I don't know what to tell you. I need something more logical. I need you to type it out. I need a whole dissertation on why exactly you think the way that you do, because it doesn't make sense. Well, I'm the parent. That's why. Well, that does not work for me, Mama. That's what it feels like. It's, <laughs> that's what it feels like is happening. Sorry, I'm like reliving childhood in front of you guys. I need to call my mom and say, I'm so sorry. I'm a Corinthian. That's what I am, mom. It's interesting how it happens. I have rights. I have freedoms, man. God saved me. I'm free from all of this stuff. Therefore, therefore, anybody that comes and threatens that, I'm skeptical of you. It's amazing how many, like, pocket prophets we have in today, people that think they're the new prophet Jeremiah. And how convenient is that? Because if you're Jeremiah then that means nobody can tell you what to do other than God. Not the people that he put around your life, not the church that he himself instituted, never mind the fact that there's only one true prophet, Jesus. There's no need for the other ones. I've encountered so many of this in my life where people say, I've got this prophetic gifting. We believe in that 1,000% in this church. We want prophetic words, we want prophetic people, But for people to think that they are the prophet of God, the weeping prophet like Jeremiah, and my job now is to hear only from God and to correct the pastor and correct the people in the church and correct everybody else, that's my spiritual gift, and nobody else has the gift, I've got the gift. Those are really fun people to be around, amen? (laughs) It's amazing how my rights, the things I'm called to, the Corinthians, I'm free in Christ, but Here's the thing, it's like the spirit of the Lord is what sets you free. Where his spirit is, there is freedom. They're wanting freedom in Christ without Christ. And there's no such thing. Freedom means freedom outside of skepticism, means pushing back. If we're free in Christ, then we adopt more of the fruit of the spirit with things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, 
gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's the fruit of the freedom of the Spirit. Addiction to rights leads to skepticism and scrutiny, and this is how we know it is because, one, there's evidence of it, but Genesis 3. Genesis 3, you've heard of the fall of man. That's what happened in the garden was you've got the enemy who's a serpent. You've got Adam and Eve who were totally fine, totally complete in God. The serpent asked Eve, God says, you can have everything in the whole garden, just don't eat of this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The serpent comes to Eve, and what happens is the freedom and rights have led to scrutiny in her, which is, for us, that means that we are now a part of the fall. And the fall happened there, and it was this main point was this. The serpent said to Eve, did God say that you can not eat of the tree? And she said, yes, she knew it. God had spoken to her. She was God's daughter. There was no doubt about it. God said, we can eat of anything other than that tree. When we eat of that tree, we will surely die. And here's where skepticism entered the world in the name of rights and freedom. The serpent said, did God actually say? Did he actually say? that if you eat of that tree, you will die, you will not surely die. You'll just know what he knows. You'll get to be your own God. Now, my rights. Yeah, I do have the right to be my own God. And I have the right to question him. She ate of the tree. Death entered the world. The world is cursed. You wanna know why the world is so shady now? You wanna know why nothing's ever quite like it should be? Married people in the room, You wanna know why the honeymoon phase comes and goes so fast? And the next thing you know, you're with someone that's like, this person really needs a savior. (laughs) And they're thinking the same thing about you, they really need a savior. You wanna know why? Nothing's ever quite there. It will be one day. God will restore the new heavens and new earth. It'll be perfect one day. But why is because of that thing. Scrutiny enters into the world, skepticism, because of what happened in the fall. The world is cursed. Paul explains it in this way. It's like, it's not about your rights. Everybody has them. What it's about, what's the testimony of your heart is what you do with your rights. And Paul lays his down. He lays his down. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with the stewardship. What then is my reward? My reward is this, that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Paul says this, I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. What is his ground for boasting? It's not because it's a good career choice. It's not because you pay me enough, Corinth. You know what my ground for boasting is? It's not because of the truck I get to drive or the whatever I get to live. I can say amen to that a thousand times, Paul. My grounds for boasting is that Christ himself came to be a part of this world. He died on a terrible cross, full torture, and he did all of that so that we could be reconciled and saved to him. And that matters for the rest of eternity. 
If I have grounds for boasting, it's not because of my career choice. It's not because it's a good job for me to have to make a good living and just chase all the same American dream stuff that everybody else chases that doesn't have Jesus. My grounds for boasting is this. I have an eternity secured in Christ because of the work that he did. Paul says my ground for boasting is the gospel. I have nothing to stand on other than that. There is no thing for me to stand on. I'm not impressive, I'm not articulate. This is Paul and I'm agreeing with him. I'm not articulate. Nobody's gonna come and hear me speak these great, amazing, super wise cultural things. I'm never gonna be an influencer. (laughs) I've got grounds for boasting and we're gonna keep it that way. My grounds for boasting, Corinthian church, frontline Shawnee, is the gospel. It's all that matters. Paul refuses his right to be paid by them. Why? I mean, there's other, multiple times, most letters in the New Testament, Paul writes to them and he asks for money. He asks, will you provide for me? Will you send me this? Will you send me this? Will you send me this? Why Corinth? Here's why. The Corinthians were obsessed with themselves. They lived in a culture that was obsessed with each other. And the way that they graded each other was in the stuff that they had. I knew that you were powerful because you made money. I knew that you were powerful because of who you followed. They had these traveling talkers, these philosophers called sophists that would roll around Greece, uh, Rome, and everyone said, well, I'm of this person because he's smart. I'm of Plato, I'm of whoever it is. These people that would travel around and they would throw money at them. And one of the ways that you knew that they were good at their job was because of the following they had based on what they wore. Corinthians were obsessed with their stuff. Earlier in the church, in the letter, Paul says, you say I'm of this person and I'm of this person. You are following us. You say I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter, I'm of whoever. You're treating us like the things that we say are on the same level as those around you who are traveling to build They're army, influencers. And Paul's saying, it's nowhere near. I'm not trying to impress you with my words. I'm not trying to impress you with the stuff I wear. wear. We have the power of God unto salvation that we're giving you. They've just got a bunch of words that they put together that sound cute. But there's no power in what they say. They were obsessed with money. They were obsessed the way that they looked. They were living in a city with deep pockets and powerful people. They were swept up by the golden calves of status and cultural idols. Does it sound familiar? Yes, Oklahoma, 2023. Paul becomes a tent maker, even though his right is to be paid by them, Paul sees past the veil and he goes, I'll do anything, I'll do anything to keep my ground for boasting only in the gospel. So he makes tents. Doesn't accept a paycheck from them, partly to share the gospel with people around him, but also because he sensed the need not to compete the gospel with other popular ideas. He works with his hands, he refuses money, he has every right to be paid by them so that they will look to Jesus and boast in him alone. And I imagine if they'd have paid Paul, one of their accusations would have been, Paul, you're getting paid too much. 
I'm gonna say it again, man. There's two people in this story. This is all about rights and refusals. One doesn't refuse their rights, the other one does. This is Paul and the Corinthians. The Corinthians have rights, Paul has rights. Paul refuses his rights for the sake of others. The Corinthians refuse others for the sake of their rights. Why does it matter today? Remember like, well that's a cool story, but it's time for us to go eat lunch. It doesn't really matter for my life. Why does it matter for, the, for Oklahoma today? Here's why. In this part of the world where we live, we like to claim our rights as well. Cultural Christianity means that I hang on to the stuff that I really want. I use Jesus for the times that I desperately need him only, and then hopefully he can rescue me, save me out of the mess that I'm in, and then after that, I'll just wait till that comes along again. But by and large, I don't really think about him much. I have rights in Oklahoma in 2023. I have a right to refuse what the preacher's telling me. I have a right to refuse the word of God. I've got a right to my money. I've got a right to my stuff. I've got the right to worship idols so long as it's culturally acceptable, the idols of kids, the idol of job, the idol of spouse, the idol of 401k, of work, of things. I have a right to be proud. I have the right to pretend. I have the right to be hidden and stay there. I have the right to the American dream. I have the right to comfort. I have the right to self-actualize, to become my truest and best self, no matter who it gets in the way of. I have a right to be elusive. I have a right to be not vulnerable. I have a right to refuse people, the right to not commit to the church or its broken people. I have a right to change churches when it's uncomfortable. I have the right to my own opinion slash make up my mind without any help. I have the right to not trust. I have the right to scrutinize everyone and especially leadership so long as they don't ask me to lead. I have a right to gossip, right to slander, right to build an army for myself. I have the right to pick and choose people that get my time and energy. I have the right to avoid conflict if I don't wanna do it. I have the right to not participate. I have the right to be a consumer. I have a right to worship God how I want and to make him in my image. I have a right to question all authority, even God. I have a right to spiritual skepticism. It's my right to be skeptical. It's a prevailing spirit of skepticism and rights in the church today. The American church is skeptical and broken in it. And so are you. You probably have seen this on the news, but there's a revival happening in Wilmore, Kentucky right now, Asbury College. And I, it has stirred me up, it's stirred up our staff. We have felt and sensed the presence of God like in a way that we have never, really, since I've been the pastor here. We had an Ash Wednesday, an Ash Wednesday service this past Wednesday night, and half of you probably don't even know what you think about that anyway. We had an Ash Wednesday service. It, I don't think we've had a more powerful service in the history of Frontline Shawnee. It was powerful. God just showed up in a unique way. In Wilmore, Kentucky right now, there's this revival going around. I'm watching that, it just stirred us up. I'm watching the videos. And as soon as I watch one of the videos, the next video I got is a discernment prophet saying, is it true? Is it really revival? Is it just emotionalism? And there are probably multiple people in this room, including me, that are skeptical as well. Well, we don't know if it's real revival or not. Here are the markers of revival. 
thus says Ben. Thus says the discernment prophet. Well, here are the markers. There must be people being saved and this, that, and the other and whatever. It's like, how about the marker is a bunch of Gen Z people who are addicted to their phone decided they wanted to keep going back to chapel. (laughs) Is that a marker? You really think they're just going to fabricate something out of thin air like that? How about another marker is over 100,000 people going and showing up being renewed. How about a marker that anybody here would agree if they are looking at their life and looking at the history of the church that the American church needs its heart revived? How about that marker? It'd be just like God to just out of nowhere show up in a random day in a random chapel and pour out his presence on all flesh. And people begin to prophesy and pray. I had one guy tell me this uh, international preacher, he said, look, I'm skeptical. He goes, but in a move of God, I'd rather be gullible than skeptical. Amen? We, have a, we think we have a right to skepticism. In the meantime, you're dead. You're just going to keep on being skeptical. You are worshiping the idol of skepticism. In the meantime, your hearts are far from God. Multiple people in the room, and I'm preaching to myself. You need renewal. You need to lay down your rights. You need to refuse your rights for the gospel. You need to remember, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in the Lord. We need it. I have no desire to just play church with you guys. I have no desire to do that. It is entirely possible that we could have just a nice church, have a nice service, preacher did a pretty good job, it's all great, it's all good, great, man, grand. Let's go to the buffet. It'd be entirely possible for us to do that multiple times over and not experience the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. I am not gonna apologize ever. What we want in this church is the manifest presence of God, the Holy Spirit. We want to change us. The call to follow Jesus is a simple message, but it's hard. It's this, it's a call to lay down your rights. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's the question today. Will you lay down your rights? Who here would say, I, I need to lay down my rights? Man, I, think, I just think it's all mine. It's my stuff, my money, my house, my family. My Start worshiping those things, and they're not yours. God gave them to you to steward. That's it. Your life is given by God for you to steward. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, we've already gone over it, but he says, uh, only let each one of you lead the life the Lord has assigned to him. So I, it's so easy to, in the Bible Belt in this day, to check out now and to know the process and to like, know, okay, he's winding down, the preacher's winding down, it's time to, he's probably gonna close his Bible and that's gonna be the sign. Service is about to be over when you start thinking about, okay, where are we? Are we going to Bricktown Brewery? Are we going to, where are we going? We're going to the Tapatio, both good places. 
Where are we going to go? What do we have to do today? I've got to do laundry. I've got to do other stuff. I've got a meeting tonight. I've got to, my dog probably needs to get let out. It's so easy for us to do that right now. When I, what I would invite you to do is just let, what's more important than letting God, the Holy Spirit, do his work in you? And I just, let's just push back the darkness. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you to stay here, you know, and to fake it. But let's just push back the darkness of, like, how we normally do things. And let's let something abnormal happen in this room. We take communion every single week in this church. That's one of the things that we do that actually stirs us up and preserves us. This is a thing that Jesus said, do it often, and when you do it, remember me. It stirs our memory. But there's multiple people in the room right now that are deciding whether or not they're going to let the Spirit of God do the work in them that they've been hearing all day through this sermon. You have been hearing God speak to you. There's multiple people in the room that are feeling that right now. And my invitation would be this. Let God do his work in you. Let him do his work in you. Some of you are embarrassed about the fact that you've never actually been saved. Some of you are embarrassed about the fact that you've never actually been baptized. Some of you are embarrassed about the fact that you've walked away from God. You're chasing whatever you're chasing. There are probably secret sin in this room. I mean, I know, not probably, there is. There's, there's some of you that need to confess, need to repent today. You need to meet with someone, you need to pray, you need to ask God to move on your heart. There's people that need to be saved right now, today, and that we need to baptize right when you get saved. There's people in this room right now like that. And I can feel it, you're going through, I'm not trying to, I just know this. I know the process that goes in my heart is you're trying to think like, well, I, he might not be talking to me. I mean, if you feel like that's to you, that is God the Holy Spirit. I'm Paul. I'm like, I don't have, I don't have the gift of what the Holy Spirit sees. <laughs> I'm not him. I'm boasting in the God. If God is moving on you right now, that's God moving on you. And he says, let today be the day of salvation. Okay. All right, man, you guys are so loved. It is not by coincidence that you're here today. I know you might have come to see somebody get baptized or whatever it is. It's not by coincidence that you're here today. God's bigger than you, smarter than you, more loving than you. He's sovereign. He's also more patient and long-suffering than all of us combined. So, man, see it as today God is moving. God's moving today in my heart. I, I just need help. I'll talk with you. We'll pray with you. We've got multiple people that'll be down front that'll be ready to pray with you.